0: everyone welcome to another edition of living courageously exposed hosted by big inside out adventures and yours truly jennifer j saunders my friends call me jay today i'm excited to bring to you michelle oh my gosh michelle i didn't even ask you how to pronounce your last name michelle what is your last name michelle Correo. Correo. so friends i'm bringing to you michelle Correo. and when i first met michelle again it's another one of those just cold calls. And I was really impressed with how she holds herself and the story that she shared with me and thought that her message is is important and the topic that I wanted to bring to you. Michelle happens to be the assistant director of Prevail Incorporated. She is a national speaker on sexual assault. She gets to be the mom of a son and a daughter and the wife to an amazing husband. So Michelle, before we get going, will you share a little bit with us what Prevail Incorporated is.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I appreciate this time. Um, Prevail is a victim awareness and support program. So we are a nonprofit that provides life-saving services for victims of crime and abuse. And we offer, you know, those ongoing services through education and through
0: hope. Very cool. And how long have you been associated with Prevail? I've been at Prevail for 18 years. 18 and the years like one. Yeah. Oh my word, you don't hear yeah. that very often. That is that's an accomplishment. It's very cool. It must yeah. be something that's very dear and near to your heart. Yeah. like what and, and I I know that it is. We're gonna share that a little bit later with our listener as to why it is so near and dear to your heart. So I've got a couple of questions in regards to you as a younger person. What were you like as a kid? Were you shy? Were you energetic? What was your childhood like
1: for you? You know, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is I was a peacemaker. So that's who I was as a kid. I was a peacemaker all the time, even with my friends. So in family and with my friends, and I always tried to do the next right thing, you know? So I was kind of reserved a little bit, but I loved people then, like I do now. I mean, even more so now. Always made great connections with people um always was happy at least I tried to be happy I put on a mask a lot of times but right um yeah that's who I was.
0: so as you're talking about that I I'm thinking about my own childhood and uh so I have a question that's formulating by way of did people come to you seeking uh solace or advice and and if they did did you wonder why they came to you like did you have the kind of life that you're like, Do you see my life? Like, why are you coming to me?
1: (laughs) As a peacemaker. Um, I'm not so sure that they came to me as, you know, seeing me. I mean, I think a lot of people just thought that I was just this happy kid and everything was great. And, you know, I, I was very artistic when I was younger as well. So I don't know. I just felt like I made friends and all different kinds of friends. It was not just one group of friends, but it
0: was you know, far-reaching. And so what were your school years like for you? Like you say, you had all these different kinds of friends. Um, Did you, as a peacemaker, feel peaceful inside? Was school something that was easy for you? You know, what did you aspire to?
1: No and no, no. School (laughs) wasn't easy for me. I'm not one of those book-smart people. Um, No, so definitely school was not easy for me. I spent a lot of my time with um, my art and like art club and my art teacher he was one of the ones that I think you know how you find that one person and why I have so much respect for teachers where they maybe sense something but um he he was my uh inspire like he saw something within me that and I think that's what kept me going that she's really gifted at art and I'm gonna really inspire her to keep going with that because I didn't know what I wanted to do or be. And, you know, even in high school, I had no hope or big dream that I was going to do anything. It was just kind of survival, right. you know, kind of in survival mode. You know, I just was on every minute, you know, not not looking towards the future at all.
0: Yeah, I would imagine we've got a listener too out there today who, who knows that feeling, you know, just as a kid or maybe even as an adult, just getting through today so that they can hopefully survive and make it to tomorrow. I love also that you had the teacher, the person, you know, for you having happened to be the art teacher, but that person who saw you and helped you keep going and saw something you maybe didn't even see yourself. For me, it was Mr. Hagerman, the music teacher, my choir teacher. And, you know, I had a religion teacher as a youth that also stepped into that role. And I have great respect for those people today. They, they help shape. Life. Yeah. I would imagine. What's your art teacher's name?
1: His name is Mr. Jackway. Uh, and he's my friend today. So we, you know, keep in touch
0: oh, here is, and there a little oh, bit. So
1: it's awesome.
0: I'm just going to give a big shout out to Mr. Jackway. Thank you for being the amazing teacher that you are and inspiring Michelle to uh, always keep that spark in her even when things were rough. Wow. Oh, so cool. Okay. So you said you didn't really have hopes and dreams and you just move forward hoping to survive each day so where to go with this did you end up going to college
1: i did i did took me 10 years i got my degree
0: (laughs) but i did very
1: good i'm the i'm i'm the only one in our family that actually um graduated from college so that's you know feels like quite an accomplishment and
0: yeah you know
1: that was an exciting day for me and you know so
0: very good congratulations yeah. and that is a huge accomplishment thank
1: you Especially
0: yeah when you say you know right now given the circumstances you grew up in that you're the only one that's that's really neat to be able to hold that banner for your family and, well, and super empowering you know just absolutely really super empowering and so what did you get your degree in i got my degree in
1: business and human resources okay so, again people you know right <laughs>
0: And where did, you, where did you have aspirations to, you know, use that? How did you want to use that?
1: Um, you know, I really didn't know. I, I mean, I, I really did not know what I wanted to do with that. I didn't, I mean, I just wanted to work in a business environment and, you know, it didn't matter where. But I think I wanted to feel successful just from not really having any hopes and dreams to see what that looked like for me, to have that experience. What, what does that feel like? What does that look like
0: um, for me? And so what did it feel like in those moments to think like, wait a minute, I actually could have some hopes and dreams. Do I dare do that? What was that like for you? Not ever having had that experience and now you've got a degree and possibility. Well, it's,
1: again, you know, it empowered me certainly to keep, I mean that, okay, I can really do this. Number one, you know, I graduated from college. Now I have a business job. How can I begin to advance? So it, it took a, It took some years for me to really do that. You know, I remember it was about 10 years into my career and a, a couple of jobs removed and where I really saw that, you know, I could be making a difference here. And, you know, I'm learning more, I'm advancing in my career a little more, even though I had a very diverse background and where I was the next place. But I realized how important making connections were, and how those relationships could really help. Right. in And finding what my true passion was, I'm still searching for that Something that I was hugely passionate about, you know. And as I got into my later years, what can I do to make a difference? Okay, I'm bringing home a paycheck, but uh, and I'm keeping, you know, I, at least I can pay my bills. But felt like there, what, what is? Where could there be?
0: Oh, I, I'm listening to you speak these words, and my mind is going a little bit crazy because as you're speaking it, I, I know the crux of what our interview is going to be about today. And my mind is just saying, oh, my gosh. And you got quite the experience in order for you mm-hmm. to accomplish these things right here so unexpectedly. And so if you're ready, let's get into the crux of what that interview is. And unless you have more you want to tell us about as far as college and those dreams and, and that degree.
1: Yeah, let's go.
0: All right. So I'm ready. ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> here comes the good stuff. So Michelle, you said you wanted to make a difference and you definitely have been given the opportunity to do that. And so I'm just going to turn the the microphone over to you and and let you share an experience that I know changed your life forever and in such is helping change the lives of other people. It's all yours.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Well, you know, you you don't realize how your life can change in seconds, but I say this, that, you know, at this time in my life, early thirties, life is going great for the first time in my life. I thought I feel really grounded. I've got a great job. Things are, you know, really happening. Great for me. I was sort of seeing, um, this guy and we built this great friendship and, you know, we had hopes and dreams individually, um, not so much together yet, but individually and got to share that with him And, um, Just everything seemed to be going great, and the love of my life was really working out. So I'm a runner, and I love to work out. So I worked at the Y and had this great job and dating this guy, and life was going great for the first time in my life. And that feels feels amazing when
0: you've never had that experience.
1: It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. And so I say life can change within seconds. I happened to be coming home one day from work. After I, I had worked construction, I was manager of construction projects from ground on up, and I happened to be out of town that day um, on a um, grand opening, and I came home from work and exhausted, and it was fairly late. It was about 9.30 at night, and I see these three guys walking down the middle of my street. And so I, my gut told me it doesn't feel right, doesn't look like, you know, doesn't look right. It was September 12th, and the weather was nice. You know, fall was just, it was beginning to cool down a little bit, and so I thought that doesn't feel right. I took took a long trip around the block in my car, and I came back down my street, and they, they were gone, and so I was happy and parked my car out in front of my house and grabbed my things to walk up to my door, and the next thing you know, I was on the ground, and I had no idea what happened. Like, did I stumble? Did I fall? Did I get hit. until so I lifted my head and I felt the warmth of the blood running down my face. And I heard this voice come at me that said, if you scream, I'll use this as you shoved a gun to my face. And so I was going to do anything that he said, but my instant reaction was I'm going to die tonight. And so I begged him for my life. I said, take my things, take my car. I don't care. You know, I'm not going to say anything, just leave me. And so He had different plans. He grabbed me up from the ground and shoved the gun to my back and, um, dragged me to my backyard. And I saw the four other feet there and they were, immediately they, you know, shoved me down to the ground and tied my hands behind my back and blindfolded me and guided me. And, um, ultimately they conversed about what they were going to do and they drove my car down the alleyway to drag me across the yard to throw me over the fence and into the trunk of my car. And the car sped off, and in the trunk of my car, at least I was able to get my hands free and to try and search for a way out. I am blindfolded myself, and luckily, whenever they hit the brake, a light came on in the trunk. But in that moment, I was trying to save my life. Like I didn't want to make any sort of noise because I was afraid of what would happen. So I tried to keep very quiet in what I was doing, and um, ultimately I could not find a way out. I even tried to look for a trunk release in the car. So I'm a faithful person. I prayed for my life immediately that I could at least tell my mom I loved her one more time, and that's when the car stopped, and they opened up the trunk and see that I got my hands free and, and blindfolded myself. So they ripped me out of the trunk and tied my hands tighter behind my back and blindfolded and gagged me and took me down. I just remember it was a gravelly area where they were running me down because I had lost my shoes in the transition. And um, I remember this place feeling very closed in that they took me. And in this, it was ultimately a garage, and they ripped my clothes off and took turns beating me and raping me in every which way they could figure out So I easily and reluctantly say that now I know Mm -hmm. where my life is today. I lost my life in that garage that night because I will never know who I would have been.
0: So So they took away
1: who I was. Then they proceeded to take me back to my car and throw me into the trunk of my car. And that's where I went unconscious. Um, And I don't know what period of time lapsed, but I just remember coming to... When I heard this very strong voice, um, kind of a louder voice, um, saying in a very stern voice, and I took a chance and I kicked on the trunk of my car. And that's when I heard this voice, same voice come back at me that said, in a softer voice, saying, I am Detective Arthur Billingsley of the Fort Wayne Police Department and I'm going to get you out. And I think honestly, and knowing the situation that, you know, that he was more shocked that i was that there was somebody in the trunk of the car i mean i couldn't honestly i had to open and close my eyes because i felt like i was in this nightmare seriously it was not believable for me i i just remember i opened and closed my eyes and opened and closed my eyes thinking this this can't be real like this nightmare didn't happen now this dream is getting me out of this nightmare and it was when detective billingsley finally uh, pictured the scene and was able to um, you know, get me out of the trunk. But, you know, he happened to be on a, a case that evening that actually took him home and he was home for the evening and he just kept feeling this nudge to get back in his car to drive around and thankful he he, he did to find my car in a parked in a wooded lot while these guys were going to rob a restaurant. So that's how he stumbled upon me
0: So so,
1: listening gone- to his got to go back out.
0: Had he not had this urge, had he not followed this urge, there's a possibility that these guys could have gotten back in your car and with you in the trunk and who knows what. Is that what I'm hearing you say?
1: Yeah, oh yeah. God. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because we've had conversations, um, Art and I, about that. And it took several years to have that conversation. Oh And I think it's much more difficult for him, but, you know, he definitely said that I don't know whether I would be alive, you know, which it it took him many years to say. And it's only because a couple of my friends got the opportunity to ask him, you know, what do you think would have happened? Because these guys were basically serial rapists. So it, it all ended in my, you know, with Detective Billingsley, catching them, catching one of them that night. And then within the next week, he, um, have the opportunity to find the other two. Wow.
0: So he just happened across your car in, like you say, in this parking lot and decided to just approach it and see what he could find. Like the, the whole He actually, yeah, he actually saw
1: two guys at the back of this restaurant, um, when he was driving down this back road and he just thought that they were locking up. But he wanted to make sure, you know, he felt a little funny about it, uneasy about it. So he drove his, he had an unmarked vehicle. And as he drove down the street, they saw him and they took off running. Well, they took off running to my car that was parked in the wooded lot. And he saw the light come on in my car. So he was able to chase them to my car. And one of the guys was in the back seat. So that's how he caught one of them that night.
0: Wow. Oh, my word. But like,
1: I know. It's like, a, it's, it's a true miracle. Honestly, I look back and
0: think how, you know, and, and remind us how old you were at this time. I was 32. Okay, 32. And so what, where from here, like, how do you even start to get your life? Back? Oh. What does, what well, does-
1: I will tell you that the minute that that trunk opened is when the nightmare started for me. Um, and I say that, Because it really is. That's where I had to learn how to relive my life. I mean, how how do I put one foot in front of the other? It almost felt like a total, like I was going through therapy to even walk again. Like I had injured, you know, my whole self was injured. I had to learn how to put one foot in front of another to even breathe right, to be in this world again. Because it felt I lived in fear, I, I say my three best friends are fear, denial, and anger became my three best friends for a long time, along with lots of other emotions that I experienced during several years after, you know, the attack. So, you know, it was, I mean, how to live, I mean, even work, um, live on my own. There, there's so much that goes into it. And I talk about wearing a mask, Um, I wore that mask. I wanted people to see me. I wanted to be okay. And I was so far from okay on the inside. You know, I had no idea once I got out of the trunk of the next thing that was going to happen, that a a sexual assault treatment center existed and they were going to take evidence from my body. And, you know, what was that like? I've never had staples. And, you know, I had several staples in my head from the head injury. I mean, from that, it, it just felt like this, um, revolving the door that was never going to stop. I mean, everything was chaos and mixed up and confusing. And I, I wanted to take control back. And how do I do that when all of this is going on and what is happening?
0: Wow. So what What were those steps? We've got someone listening today either for themselves who this has happened or they know somebody uh, that this has happened, mm-hmm. and they're in that recovery process. What were those steps for you, and how did you, how did you even start taking them
1: to take care of? I had to learn how to take care of myself, and what it was that I needed, and to really express what I needed, to really vocalize what I needed, and and that's that was really hard for me to do. I mean, I I always my mom always taught me how to be independent, mm-hmm. and I was. Always independent as a young child because I had really no other choice. Um, so at least I had that going for me, but I didn't feel independent anymore. I, I think the biggest thing in looking back on it is to take care of you. Like I really needed to take care of me and then put me first and not worry about everything else that was going on because I was a mess, a mess and I couldn't see my way out. Hope was not in my vocabulary and no. I guess what I would like to say is know that there is hope in any situation that you're in because I was in the deepest, deepest, darkest place of my life at this time. I was angry at everybody and I tried my best to push people away so I could say, see, I told you so. You know, you're not going to stay with me because I'm in this, I looked in the mirror and I didn't like what I saw, even though I tried to get out of bed every day. And I did. And I took a shot, you know, I worked out. I no longer could run outside. So that was taken away from me. And I was really upset about that because that a lot of times was my therapy every day was being out with nature, you know, and doing something that I love to do. So I felt like that was just ripped right out from under me. I can no longer be by myself. I wasn't by myself for nine months following the attack. So I literally had to be on the coattails of the guy that I was dating. And luckily, he was my eyes, ears, and voice that night. He came to the hospital because he happened to get a call from somebody wondering where I was because they had seen the scene of where I lived. And um, so that's how they went and searched for me, and he went to the scene. And so he at least got to meet me at the hospital, and they found me and took me to the hospital. So I needed somebody to be my eyes, ears, and voice that night. Because quite honestly, it was very difficult to share with my family, you know, what had happened. To share with anybody, period. I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want to really talk about it um, for a short period. So that was very difficult. Because I felt like it was just another thing that people could talk about and look at me. and, And I felt like I had a big R on my forehead that labeled me as a rape victim. It's taking care of you. And putting, you know, taking one step at a time. For me, that healing journey was, you know, I turned to journaling a lot, my thoughts and feelings, and allowed it to be what it was, to sit with it. And, you know, I had to be okay with it. Um, That this is me today. It might not be me tomorrow, but it took me a long time. For me, it was going in search of finding that person who had been through something similar so that I knew that I was going to be okay. I think that that's what brings me to where I am today that I couldn't find that person. I, I mean, I really tried. And so I went to the library and looked up story of rape went and found a book. And I read that book in one night and you know, it's called in a dark wood by Jennifer Barr. And uh, she affirmed my going crazy feelings that, okay, I'm really not isolated in moments in this. Somebody else, just affirmed what I'm going through and I'm okay, you know, and knowing that it took her a long time to get through what her feelings and thoughts. And, you know, I never thought that life could be good. And I told myself that, uh, you know, and it was really writing those thoughts and feelings down and going to therapy every week. I found a therapist that I really connected with that I had known previously that, um, you know, she didn't specialize in this, but she said she would walk that journey with me and, and we did for at least three years you know once a week after that so really tried to work on myself um, and it was really hard to do because i wanted to be better tomorrow you know i didn't want to take the time needed to do that so i could i can say take the time because it's worth it to take that time to really work through that pain instead of going over it under it or around it it's to work right through it because eventually You're going to have to, and it's better to do it now than to wait for 10 years. I've seen people that haven't had people to share anything or haven't had a place to go to that 10 years later, and now they're working through that pain because they they had nowhere to go, and they didn't know what that looked like for them.
0: Uh, And so in your experience, one thing, a couple of things, actually. I love that you just said, take the time to do it now, and that you have to work through it not around mm-hmm. under over or any other way that you have to go through it it took me a long time to really understand that one for myself as well through my own experiences and through it feels like the scariest hardest way to do it but in actuality from my own experience and people that I talk to it really is air quotes here the easiest way through it because you just you just start delving into it and facing it and getting right to the point. And I really love that you said that. My next thought was, do you feel like it's a common thing for people who are victims of um, such an abusive crime, whether it just be, you know, physical abuse or they also suffer the sexual abuse? Do you feel like it's a common thing that they're not able to find someone? Like, are people willing to speak out? Is that why you weren't able to find someone or... I don't know if I'm asking that question in a way that's really.
1: Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're asking. I, I so a couple of things. Services back then weren't, um, and I say back then, but it was several years ago. Uh, there weren't as many services as there are today. Okay. We're and and really the topic of sexual assault. It's becoming talked about a little bit more because there's so much. I mean, it's an epidemic when you look at the statistics. It is definitely an epidemic. Um, how, and we're talking about how can we prevent this from happening, building those assets within our kids. But uh, I just lost my train of thought there for a second. But
0: So we're just talking about, like, if you feel like it's a common thing for people to not be able yeah. to resources or help once this is in their experience. Yeah. So I, I think now
1: there are more services. And we are talking about it a little bit more. We have a long way to go. And I, I think it brings me to think about one of my big passions is uh, at Prevail. Um, two years ago, I formed a Speakers Bureau because we had some people that really were passionate about talking about, you know, sharing their journey, their story, and changing our communities into having safe communities and educating them hey, this is what happened. How can we, what can we do to make a difference to stop this, but also to provide services and know that there is hope and hearing out there for those who have been affected,
0: you know, whether it's
1: domestic violence, sexual violence, you know, whatever that is. Mm -hmm.
0: So if I hear you correctly, you created, we're going to talk about Prevail. In fact, maybe this is a really good place to get into it because I know it's one of the places that you turned your energy to So that you could assist other people through similar experiences. But if I heard you correctly, you said that you created a speaker's bureau inside of Prevail. Now, is this a bureau for people who have also been victimized and now is a way to share their healing with others? Exactly. Yeah. That's really an awesome thing. That is so exciting and empowering.
1: Yeah. Very, very. What a great group of people. And, you know, it's open whether they've received ongoing services that prevail or, you know, and certainly it's a group of people that have been out of services for a year. We want to make sure that they're healthy because I know for years I carried that anger around with me, you know, that denial. And I really had to be in a healthy place to be in this field of work. I think that, you know, that's kind of a fine line and also can be uh, difficult and can be triggering for some and, So just to be in a healthy place in order to to do that. So yeah, it's it's really a lot of fun and certainly a huge passion of mine um, to be working and to affirm each other and to really, it's really healing for everybody as well. It's not something that you ever get over, but you, you begin to see the great things that have happened out of the really bad things in your life you're able and when you're able
0: to see that wow it's amazing i love that and so my my thought is i love that you're you're bringing out the point of in order to really assist people in their own healing you have to take the time to heal yourself and know what your triggers are and know when you are triggered and so my question to that is how do you when you're moving um through a process with somebody and helping and you find yourself triggered how do you move forward at that point how does that work
1: i it's to be cognizant on what those triggers are so
0: what what does that feel like what does that look
1: like i know when i was going through you know i had to really challenge some of my some of what was holding me back like i wouldn't I didn't want to go out by myself. I didn't want people, like I couldn't stand in the grocery store and have somebody stand behind me.
0: Right.
1: Okay, so that's not really reality, right? You have to live your life. Yeah. So how am I going to go to the grocery store and wait in line at the checkout and have somebody behind me? Okay, what's going to happen? What's my fear? And I challenge that. Okay, is everybody, is everybody behind me really going to hit me on the head? and told me guys by some point is that really a reality so those are types of things that i really had to look at and you know what i had to choose what is good for me so okay what if i can never go to the grocery store which that's not really realistic but here's here's one that i did take power of um control of is you know being in a restaurant sitting in the corner i want to sit in the corner i don't want my back to the door and i'm able to vocalize that hey you know could you change seats with mm. me because this i'm not comfortable sitting here or you know i get to pick the table right. you know um, i can't run outside by myself and i know that so i run with my dog or i get a running partner so that i'm able to run outside for me right now i don't i mean i don't have as nearly as many triggers if any right now i'm sure that i could run across one here or there in the upcoming years. But really, I feel in such a great place that I haven't, I can't tell you the last time that I've been triggered. And it's it's beginning, I think what I can say is the great thing that's come out of this for me is I've gotten to know myself. I think a lot of times people don't have that opportunity to really get to know themselves intimately. Um, you know, and that, that happens with journaling. And, you know, with looking at who I am today and how this has affected me and, you know, really liking who I am, whereas I don't know that I could really say that, you know, before my assault. And when I look back and think, I wonder who I would have been, and I do, I, every once in a while I think, I wonder what I would have been like. And then I think, oh, that might be scary to look at, <laughs> you know, so, you know, and and I can laugh at
0: that, you know, and go, wow, i hmm. Maybe I don't know, wanna know. That's a really interesting point of query though, is what would what would we be like if we didn't have these challenges and trials or hard things in our life to help mold us and shape us? That's a really interesting question that I'm just gonna pose to the to the listener today is you know, a lot of times we we look at the things that have happened to us and we wanna cuss at them and we we want to blame them and, and be pissed off or whatever the emotion and feeling is. But really, what what would we be without them? And is that someone that we would want to be? It's a really great, really great question, Michelle. So tell us just a little bit more about Prevail and the, the work that you do there and that the company does.
1: Yeah, so I love coming to work, so I found my passion <laughs> through my assault, which Again, another really great thing that happened out of it. Um, And I started volunteering at Prevail and just fell in love with the mission and vision of the agency. And, it, you know, you think these things really happen by chance, but I ended up moving out of Fort Wayne where I lived and uh, I thought, I want to find out, is there any place where I can give back or is there a victim service agency and stumbled upon Prevail which is close to my home and started working part-time. I quit my full-time for-profit to work in the nonprofit world, and I have not turned back and have loved every single minute of it. But it's really interesting how my part-time answering the phone um, job went, and I'll never forget the founder of Prevail, Beth Galhausen, who is my mentor today. Love her dear, dearly for starting, for having this vision of starting this agency, which is a standalone agency that now employs 23 amazing advocates for victims of crime and abuse, that, that they are empowering, actually giving people the tools to empower themselves. So I've worked in several different positions at the agency, and I'm currently the assistant director there and have been there for 18 years. But I've gotten to do lots of things from advocacy to you know, being on call 24-7. We are an agency that's on call. 24/7 that responds to in crisis situations but also hold groups in the evening um, that is a psychoeducational based group that really empowers people and gives, provides them information and they can take that power and control back and make the decisions of how they want to proceed forward and when the timing is right for them to move forward. But, and with that, I've had several opportunities. The love of my life right now aside from prevail and I do get to speak with Prevail too, is speaking got the opportunity to speak nationally on this issue and from the military to prosecutors to first responders to businesses on my journey and how we can make a difference because one of my favorite quotes is no human interaction is neutral it's either healing or it's wounding and we don't know what path you know, we are going to cross with people and what they're going through and what that mat, what that inside, you know, they may wear a mask, but what's going on inside. I truly and totally believe in kindness and how that changes lives. Nice. So I see it every day at our agency that people feel so hopeless, you know, walking through our doors and, and do sometimes put up a front, Hey, how are you really, really going to help me? It's Kind of breaking that down. Well, let's do it one step at a time. Um, I really, in my position today, I easily said, I connect the outside to the inside of the agency and the inside of the agency to the outside of the agency. So doing lots of education with our community, um, talking about Prevail. I, I do a lot of our um, big donor management, you know, fundraising, and um, I work a lot with sexual assault response teams um, in formulating ours in our county. And I work with, I sit on the board of our sexual assault coalition, Um, Right now, working um, on putting together a sexual assault response team for the Department of Corrections So, working within the prisons to um, put together that sexual assault response team. So I just embrace every minute I can get to um, make a difference in in somebody's lives, whether that's face-to-face or whether it's behind the scenes and making a difference in how we do as a community and empower people and um, sharing my story and the effects of it and how can we as first responders respond, putting the victim always first.
0: So And I, I love, I think that's a favorite part of, of your story for me is that you've taken this thing where you were you were a victim of a horrible assault crime and that you have taken yourself out of the role of the victim, if you were victimized, but you're no longer the victim. You've taken the steps to empower yourself, to learn, to educate, to get to know. And then you've, you've taken it a step farther and, and are now this advocate and powerhouse for women and men who find themselves in similar situations, who walk through your doors in similar place where you were, where you, you were less like, uh, I have no hope. I don't even believe in hope. And you said that fear and anger. And what was the other one? Were your best friends?
1: them. Yeah, denial.
0: You know, and and that you have that understanding for people who are experiencing similar things, and that you're able to provide help. But more than that, you see their humanity, and you give it back to them in such empowering ways. And that that for me, it's just like watching you be the hero of your story, and then help perpetuate that for other people is such a beautiful thing. And I, I honor your whole story, but that part just really warms my heart. And so, I know there were there were a couple of things that you really didn't think were going to be in your existence by way of being a parent and, and things like that. Will you do? You mind sharing just a little bit about that with us? I
1: would, I would absolutely love to. But I think one thing that I want to add to you know somebody listening out there um, that it's not easy. I mean, and, it, and working through it doesn't come without a price. I mean, it is very difficult. And I had to find that one person that I could trust and that I could go to 24-7. Um, I found that it with one of my friends, and she was really open to me calling her any time of the evening, uh, which was great to have because it's hard to find that person to really talk to because... After a while, that became my life, and I just needed to get it out, and I needed to share with somebody how I felt. So I think it's very – I hear that with a lot of survivors that, you know, nobody understands where I am, and I think that's the hardest thing for us is nobody understands, and how can we get somebody to understand? And sometimes it's about just giving the opportunity just to breathe and work through it, but sometimes just to talk and just to have somebody listen not necessarily say anything, but just to be present with you and actually present. I think that's really powerful.
0: So I love that you just um, pointed out. Because I think as someone, you know, on the other side of it, who's not experienced it, I I would guess that a lot of people, myself included, would have no idea what to say. And so I'd love that you just gave all of us permission to just listen, to just be in here. And, and experience that we don't we don't have to carry the weight of of solving it or helping you feel better, but that simply by being there and listening helps you do that. Whole yeah. Thing. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, so my family, you know what they have. There's there's so much to say in a little <laughs> bit of time, but I want to say that I have an extended family now, and that is Detective Arthur Billingsley his wife and his kids, like we have celebrated life together. We do. We celebrate holidays and birthdays. And so the the most emotional part of my story is talking about my life today with my family because I didn't have hopes or dreams that I would have kids. I mean, thought, oh, that'd be cool and good. But no, it's never going to happen to me. I'm never going to be married. Are you kidding me? Nobody's going to want to marry me. Well, this I hope empowers anybody listening because... If you're in a place where you don't think something is possible, it is possible. Because I am married to the guy that I was dating, to the man that I was dating. And he came to the hospital and met me at the hospital and never left my side. Aww. He went through hell and back. I will tell you, he went through hell and back, But he just loved me. And as hard as I tried to push him away, he was bound to determine he was going to stay. But he, again, he went to therapy and what can he do to help me? Um, it's funny, we laugh about this today because we'd sit and we'd be present with each other and I would tell him, okay, I just need you to listen. So then he'd be listening and I'm saying, why aren't you talking? You know, he said, well, you told me to listen. You know, and we can laugh about that, but that was our lie. That was where we were at. So where I was at with him. So we have been able to speak together. Um he actually does not like speaking in front of you know, that's his biggest fear in the whole wide world, a lot of people's fear, but, but he he and my two kids, so I'll finish this part and then I'll tell you about our speaking engagement. But my son, a miracle, he is named after the man that saved my life. So he's named after Detective Arthur Billingsley, which is so cool. He calls him Uncle Art. So and has from the day he could speak. And he really meant, he's really a mentor to Christian being a detective and having a son at the age five, six, seven, you know, always thought that was really cool. You know, my uncle's a detective on the, he's on the police department, but anyway, and then we have a beautiful daughter who just wows me every day. So anyway, um, that's where I get emotional. So it is really a miracle that I have these kids that now are carrying along the legacy and they will. They have shared my story, they have come with me on a speaking engagement to speak to four thousand soldiers and they did it so gracefully and peacefully because people who have experienced sexual assault in the military have families and they are married and they have kids and how do you get through it and what do you do? And my family just really brought for such a message. I mean, Chris had such a beautiful message and hard message to share, you know, that this is what it was like for me. And it was hard. And did I want to leave? Absolutely. But I stayed because I loved her. And we made it through, you know, and my kids, how did you find out what happened to your mom? You know, and they started asking questions and they were very open and sharing what that experience was like and what that is like for them today. I'm really powerful. I'm super duper. I mean, I have... This sign that hangs in my law two places, when I get up in the morning above my sink, life doesn't get any better than this, and it's on the way out my door when I go out every day, and I can truthfully say it doesn't get any better than this. It's, I never could dream life with me. I'm doing what I'm passionate about. I have this beautiful family that's making a difference every day, and I get to be with people, and I get to help in some small way in this world, so it's a gift.
0: When really I think that's like all of us, that's what we want is to know that we're we're making a difference, that we're creating a legacy, whatever that is, big or small. And so the fact that this tragic event has brought you to that is so inspiring. And and to the person listening who, who may not be in this spot yet, I hope you're able to find some hope from what Michelle is speaking today and and sharing her story and that you can get to that point like that you know you can get to that point of life doesn't get any better than this every day really is a beautiful adventure Michelle I love it so so let's talk just for a minute about your speaking as we wrap up how I know you have a website so how does a person get you? and let's make those points of contact available and see if we can get you some more places to share your story would love that. Um, so, you and and please feel
1: free to, to the listeners, if you, I mean, this is a great way to share my story. I know a couple of people have gone, well, several people have gone to my website and you can see a video there that maybe will help somebody in some way. If they don't reach out to get help, maybe this will be the inspiration or, or courage where you actually get to see, you know, Detective Billingsley and sharing his side of it as well. But my website is Michelle Correo, M I C H E L L E C O R R A O dot com. So Michelle Correo dot com. And I also have a Facebook page, and that's Michelle Correo as well.
0: Awesome. Oh my gosh. Michelle, I want to just thank you again here publicly for one, taking the time to take my original phone call (laughs) that allowed me the opportunity (laughs) to start getting to know you and your story. And then to accept my invite to come to your podcast interview, I just feel like you have you've you've walked quite a journey. And I know there are many, many out there who have walked or will walk similar journeys, and that your message is one of hope and one of caring and that you really can triumph over your tragedies. And I appreciate your willingness to just openly share and for all of the work that you do both on your own and through Prevail. And I know, I have no doubt that you are making a difference in the world and living your passion. And I just kudos to you. And I, and I say a huge thank you. Any last things you want to say?
1: Yes, I'm going to say thank you to you for the platform and for your passion and just for this opportunity for us to... Somebody else's life that hopefully will be inspired um, to get for hope. I mean, just inspired to have hope and know that there's hope out there. So, Jennifer, thank you so much. It has been a joy to get to know you and um, look forward to just continuing this work. So, thank you so much. And um, looking forward to continuing our relationship and working towards just greatness.
0: So, I love it. I appreciate you. No, thank you. That goes both ways. I always look forward, like there are just some people I'm just, I cannot wait to meet and you're one of those people. So we'll, we'll make that happen. And until then, just keep doing the great work that you're doing and, and continuing to share the hope and the spirit of survival and that life really is awesome. And if you loved any part of this interview today, I'm going to invite you to share it with two people, just two people. This message is one of hope and courage, and it will help somebody. And so, again, if you've liked any part, share it out. Help us out in getting this beautiful message that Michelle has to share out. And if you liked it even more than that, I invite you to share your dollars. Help us continue to bring amazing people and amazing stories so that we can continue to live our passions and share them out with the world. And we're going to end it like we always do and say, you got to believe in yourself, or no one else can. Okay.